Our scripture reading today is from the book of Job in the first chapter. We'll begin in the first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from all evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the sons of the east. And his sons used to go to hold a feast in the house of each, each other on their own day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up very early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job had said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. You'll be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Job. We're going to be studying there this morning as well as this evening. If you To give you a little bit of a preview, we're going to be doing an overview of the entire book of Job. So if you have time this afternoon you know, and want to read 42 chapters of the book of Job, I'm already getting a couple of looks that this is your heads up. You get to do that this afternoon if you need a little Sunday afternoon reading. But no, we are certainly going to be looking at the book of Job. We invite you to be taking out your Bibles to study along with us this morning. We're so grateful for the presence of each and every one here. We're certainly glad that we have the opportunity to worship our great God and Father in heaven and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior. And you are an encouragement to us, and we're so thankful that you're here. If, <clears throat> if you were to think about someone in the Bible, that there is absolutely really no question about their character, their integrity, and whether they were a faithful person, Job would probably have to be near the top of that list. Because you read the book of Job and sometimes you might be wondering, was Job really okay with God? Was he really right with God? You read the book of Job and you might have some questions, but you go on later into other passages in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, for instance, in Ezekiel chapter 14, and in the 14th verse, as Ezekiel is talking about the unfaithfulness of Judah and Jerusalem, and he says in verse 14, Ezekiel says, Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. He essentially says the same thing a few verses later. Then where Job is one of the ones who is commended for his faithfulness, for his righteousness, before God. In the book of James, in James in the New Testament, in James chapter 5, in James chapter 5, James says in verse 11 here, as he's talking about patience through tribulation, he says in verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. As we are introduced to Job by other writers inspired by the Holy Spirit, we learn that Job is counted as a faithful child of God who was seeking to do what is right, who is righteous in the presence of God. 
And we're going to talk some about that this morning. But what strikes you as you look at the book of Job, and especially as we are first introduced to him, is how focused he is and how resolute he is on serving God and helping his family. He's a father of ten children and he is trying to help them be righteous as well. Uh, He makes sacrifices for his kids. He is someone who's concerned about helping and developing his family to serve God and making God a priority. And then we learn, and we all probably are very familiar, at least with the first couple of chapters of the book of Job, where he loses nearly everything. He faces so many trials, discouragement. Faces disappointment and heartache. And you read the rest of the book of Job, and you may wonder... Did he really have a full faith in God? Because there are things that Job says that may sound irreverent at times. There might be things that we have words that are recorded, speeches that are recorded by his friends that give a pretense of reverence. Well, the book of Job is what would be considered ancient Israelite wisdom literature. And it's trying to express what is truly wise and helping us gain insight and understanding into the way that God thinks and the way that God wants us to consider life. Putting on, taking off our own lenses and putting on the lenses of God. Seeing what He sees, or at least considering what He sees. That's what the Psalms are so excellent about doing in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. They force us to look at life and from all sorts of different angles, but primarily from the angle that God wants us to look at life. And what I want us to look at this morning is just the character of Job and who he was as a man who was trying to serve God. And what we see is that at the very beginning of Job, everything is going so well for him. That he has everything that you could ever really want in life. And you have in Job chapter 1, and as we just read in the first five verses in our reading this morning, we know that Satan comes and that he's looking for someone to harm. He's, he's going and roaming about on the earth and he is trying to create havoc in someone's life. And he comes before God as Satan does. In verse, in verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. I think it's sometimes interesting to consider this conversation that we have between God and Satan that you get in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job. Because sometimes we read the book of Job and we're very quick to make the point that Satan is really the one who's behind the suffering that uh, Job is experiencing. 
And that certainly is an argument to be made. But what I find to be really fascinating about Job and this conversation between God, it seems that Satan is really primarily attacking God and His character, first and foremost. Now he's saying, look, Job doesn't serve you for nothing. That he serves you, yes, but he serves you only because what you have given him and what you have provided for him and the things that you bless him with. He doesn't serve you for nothing, God. That's what Job, or that's what Satan is accusing Job uh, or God of doing. And Job certainly recognized all of the enormous blessings that he had in life. And that he was protected and that he was blessed by God. Hey buddy, you want to put those down? In Job chapter 3 and verse 23, notice what Job is saying in his lament and as he is dealing with the depression and the anxiety that was associated with what he had lost and all the great things that he had lost. In Job chapter 3 and verse 23, says, Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? Job never questions that God has hedged him in and given him this protection and all these enormous blessings. Job was the first one to recognize that. And as you see the description of what he was given in life, he had seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, we're told. In verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And Job, he just grew in his riches and his material possessions and his wealth. In verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And there was this feasting and celebration that you get the picture that this family has never really faced a difficulty in life. That this has just been smooth sailing for them. I don't know if Satan was entirely wrong whenever he was saying, look, God, you've, you've given this hedge for Job and his family. That he's protected. What Satan was wrong about was that Job would fear God even if that hedge of protection was removed. But I just find this so remarkable about Job. And here he is, he is trying to ensure the salvation of his family as he makes sacrifices for his children. He says, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Just in case they have, he wanted to make sure that they were right before God. Job in verse 1 of the entire book, 
He is described as a man that was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Job was the man that I believe is described in the book of Psalms in in chapter 1 in the first psalm. In Psalm 1, notice how that psalm opens up. He says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That seems like a perfect description of Job. That his focus, his life, his intent is all about serving God. Yes, he's very wealthy. Yes, he has material possessions. But his primary focus is about doing what is right. Now, Satan is cynical. He is cynical about Job's faithfulness. He believes that Job is only faithful because of all these abundant blessings and the protections that God has given Job. And yet, as we will follow the train of thought throughout the story, that Job loses it all. He loses his wealth. He loses his children. He loses his health. And yet, he never turned against God. At the end of chapter 1, In verse 22, after he loses his children and everything, it says, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So many times we are quick to blame God, aren't we? We might forget about Him when things are going well, when we have... great deal of blessing. But when we lose it, the instant that we lose it, then we say, aha, see, I knew God was just out to get me. That wasn't the attitude that Job had. And so many times you think about how we live here in this country. We have enormous blessings. And that we have so many things that are just provided for us and that are here that it's so easy to live. Oh, I think many of us are like Job. We may not consider ourselves wealthy, but we have enormous blessings and protections that we don't that other people in the world just do not have. And yet, have you seen what wealth will do to people? Wealth will cause people to turn away from God. In Matthew chapter 13, in Matthew the 13th chapter, Jesus warned about this in the parable of the sower. In Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 22, as He is explaining this parable to His disciples, He says in verse 22 of Matthew the 13th chapter, And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. While life within the hedges is pretty good, a lot of people 
fall into the trap because of the deceitfulness of riches. They think that they are able to provide for themselves. They say, I'm rich. I have need of nothing. I don't need anything from from God. I don't need any help from anyone else. I am able to do it all by myself. We have to be careful that our wealth does not get in the way of our spiritual life and our number one priority in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew the 6th chapter, I believe that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand as He is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew the 6th chapter, and in verse 24, He says, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. We cannot be so focused on the material blessings of life that we get distracted from serving God. And what is so remarkable about Job and his righteousness and his faithfulness is that he overcame that temptation. He overcame that stumbling block that many people just quite frankly do not overcome. Have you ever thought about what you might do if you lost it all? If you lost everything? All of your retirement, all of your investments, all the things that you have worked so hard for. Maybe you lost family, a child. What would you do? Would you give up on serving God? Or would you look to the example of Job and see that he was faithful when he enjoyed the blessings that came from God when he was living within the hedges and that he was faithful when all of it was taken away? Life was good for Job, but things were about to get much more difficult. But what makes Job... A remarkable example is how he reacts and how he handles things after things grow difficult. I think what we see about Job and his righteousness throughout the book of Job, as his friends would come and deliver some speeches to him, they would just start lecturing him. If I had friends like that, I would probably not listen very much. Job is a much better friend than I am because I don't want to be lectured all the time. But you get all these speeches in the book of Job where his friends are telling him, Job, you've lost it all because you have done something very wicked. You've done something wrong. You need to make some changes in your life. You need to repent. Because God wouldn't cause all of this to happen to you unless you had done something sinful. And Job, he remains adamant. Now, he has not done anything wrong. Notice in chapter 9. In chapter 9 and in verse 20, he says, Though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I am guiltless, he will declare me guilty. I am guiltless. I do not take notice of myself. I despise my life. Later on in chapter 23, in chapter 23 of the book of Job, in verses 11 and 12, notice what Job says here. He says, my foot has held fast 
to His path. I have kept His way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. In chapter 27, in chapter 27 and in verse 6, He says, I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. We could continue on looking at several verses like this. For Job is saying, I have not turned aside. I have not turned away. I am seeking God and His righteousness. I'm trying to understand His law. I'm trying to live by the way that God wants me to. And you might think, at just at this point, you, boy, Job, you know, his friends might have a point. Maybe he is a little self-righteous. Maybe he's a little pretentious. He has a lot of confidence here in himself and his own ability. But something that I believe is neglected sometimes in what Job understands is found in Job chapter 7. In Job chapter 7 and in verse 20 and 21, Job says, Have I sinned? What have I done to you? He's speaking to God here. What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me, but I will not be. And here you can see that Job is definitely challenging God. He's questioning God and that's something that we're going to talk some more about tonight that can kind of make us feel a little uncomfortable here. But what Job understands is a principle that he's not righteous in and of himself. He's, and even whenever throughout the book of Job, whenever it says that he did not sin, it's not saying Job never sinned in his life. But what we're understanding is that he recognized that when he sinned, he needed to repent. He needed to seek God's grace, God's mercy, and His forgiveness. Why do you think it is that he is making sacrifices on behalf of his children? If he's going to make sacrifices on behalf of his children, then don't you think he makes sacrifices on his own behalf? That he recognized the need for forgiveness. He recognized the need for God's grace. And he has a lot of questions that he wants to ask God. I think certainly we would all have some questions if we were facing the challenges that Job was facing. But he did not blame God. He counted God as his confidence. He says, God, if I have done something, then, then forgive it. Please. He wants pardon. He wants forgiveness. And as you continue on throughout the book of Job, as you come to, towards the end of the book, in chapter 40, as, as God begins to speak to Job, and... 
you have this great discourse that God finally begins to help Job realize some things. And we can read these closing chapters of the book of Job and it all emphasizes God's great power, God's great control, and all those kinds of things that are so remarkable that we, we are in awe of who God is. He demonstrates that in Job chapter 40 and in verse 15. He says, Behold now behemoth, which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, now his strength in, in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. And he goes on how he describes this and what God is caring for this great creature. And so many times we think and we look at these closing chapters of the book of Job and we look at how powerful God is. But what God's real main point here, especially with the behemoth and the Leviathan in chapter 41, it's that God cares for His creatures. Here's this great and powerful creature. And the point is, God cares for him. And that's the end of the book of Job that we're left to recognize that God is merciful, that God is compassionate, that God loves us, that God is gracious towards us. Even when we don't understand everything, even though when we are going through challenges in life, maybe it's the loss of a job, maybe it's a relationship problem, maybe we're not getting along with our husband or our wife as God would want us to. Maybe there's conflict in our, in our family with our children, between parents and child. And what we need to see is that Job, he did not lose confidence. And at the end of the book of Job, God is explaining that I love you. Even though if you don't understand everything, and all the problems that you might be enduring, and all the issues that you're subject to, God still loves you. That was something that Job needed to be told again. That's something we all need to be told, isn't it? That's why James says, look to Job. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And at the end of the story of Job is that that's what is reiterated. It's not just God's power, it's God's compassion and His mercy, His love and His forgiveness that He gives. And as you come to the last chapter in chapter 42, when Job actually decides that he might utter some words... He says in verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes, I seize you. 
Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. And ultimately what Job recognizes is that as he's been saying some things that have been challenging, because his life has been challenging, he comes to realize that there's nothing that he can really say. When we come to recognize God's grace and God's love for us, what can we say? There's nothing. We can have confidence because of what we learn about God from reading the book of Job and what Job experienced. He understood that he wasn't righteous in and of himself. He recognized that he needed to make his life about serving the Lord, making sacrifices for sin. He recognized that he needed forgiveness. And then as the end of the story is revealed, he recognizes that his, his small part in this book, the suffering that he's going through for a time, it does not thwart the love and the grace and the mercy of God. The third and final thing for us to think about this morning as we think about Job and who he was is that here Job is. He has these friends that try to come and comfort him. I guess their motives are, are good, especially at the beginning. And what they end up doing is just telling Job just how wicked he's been. You have Eliphaz in Job 14, in verses 17 and 18. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you wrap up my iniquity. And But the falling mountain crumbles away and the rock moves from its place. Job is is just wrestling here that everything is just falling and deteriorating around him. And his friends are not helping him. In chapter 16, he would say, sorry comforters, are you all? You have his friends who just seek to blame and place blame upon him. And as Eliphaz is telling him in chapter 15, that I have seen you, and I've listened to you, Job, but what you are saying is wrong. The wicked is in pain, and you are in pain, so you must be wicked. In chapter 20, Zophar speaks to Job. In chapter 20 and in verse 23, it says, When he fills his belly, God will send his fierce anger on him and will rain it on him while he is eating. He may flee from the iron weapon, but the bronze bow will pierce him. Job, you are wicked. That as soon as something happens to you, God is going to be angry with you. And then at the end of the book of Job, we have a, a friend, that, that guy who's 
always there and always following you around, I guess, but never speaks up. That's Elihu. That's the fourth friend that we learn about in chapter 32. And he has some scathing things to say. In verse 2 of chapter 32, it says, But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned against Job. His anger burned because he justified himself before God. How dare he defend himself? You continue on in, in verse 12. It says, I even paid close attention to you. Indeed, there was no one who refuted Job. No one of you answered his words. In verse 18, For I am full of words. The Spirit within me constrains me. And he goes on to just tell Job how wicked he has been. And what I find to be interesting, here are all these people who come to Job and it feels like they're just lighting into him. They're just get, pouring it on. Maybe you have some friends like that that will remind you of everything you've ever done that's wrong. That's the kind of friends these are. And if I had friends like that, I'd be irritated, I'd be mad, I would let them know that I was angry. It would be a pretty short conversation because my temper would be very short. <laughs> what I find interesting is what Job says in chapter 6. He was not above being corrected. He says, how painful are honest words. But what does your argument prove? He's not convinced by their words, but he doesn't grow angry. Instead, he is very patient with them. He says, honesty is helpful. How painful are honest words. You don't want to just be given a slap on the back and says, good job from someone. You want to be told when you've messed up. Job wasn't above rebuke. He wasn't above correction. He's extremely patient. Even whenever his friends are very impatient towards him. He never lashes out in anger. What I find interesting in, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, you have... Bildad, who makes some really, uh, some, some very scathing kinds of remarks in Job chapter 8 and in verse 20. Notice he says, Lo, God will not reject the man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting, Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the tent of the wicked will be no longer. And what Bildad is saying, God doesn't reject someone who's full of integrity. Job, God's rejecting you. You don't have any integrity. That's the, that's the implication. He's saying, Job, you're wicked. Job, you've sinned. You've got to fix your life. you come into chapter 9, 
And if I had been told that by a friend, I might get pretty upset pretty quickly. Especially if I'm defending my character, my righteousness, and my faithfulness before God. What Job says in verse 2, In truth, I know that this is so. How patient is that? (laughs) That's incredible. And he doesn't just lash out in anger at the critiques and at the implications and the implications of his friend's words, at least initially here. Now, Job's patience doesn't mean that he agrees with his friends on all their conclusions. But that just demonstrates a little bit of the character of Job. And so if we see his patience here and how he deals with his friends, then it comes to no great surprise that when he loses his children, when he loses his wealth, when he loses his health, when his wife told him to just curse God and die, after his friends continually tell him, Job, you just need to repent. Go ahead. Repent. Take care of this. And then it's over. God will bless you again. How easy it would have been to fall for that. And yet Job is persistent. And he deals with all of these people very patiently. After his wife told him to curse God and die, he said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. It's why we are told to look to the example of Job. Because when things don't go our way, when we're having a bad day, when we're having a bad week, maybe a bad month, maybe a bad year, when things are hard, are we patient? Do we have long suffering? Are we willing to endure? Because I think what James helps us to recognize about Job's patience is that if we are patient, if we're going to be long-suffering, if we can endure through the tribulation, through the trial, then, then you can see God's mercy. You can see God's compassion. Whenever you have a friend that you get into an argument with or a disagreement with someone at work or someone at church? Are you patient with them? When bad things happen, when things don't always go our way, when we are faced with difficulty and challenges and tribulations, when we might lose a job, when we might not get that promotion that we were wanting, when we run into things that are going to set us back rather than push us forward, when we have disappointment, are we going to be patient? That's what we see in the life of Job. Is extreme patience. When life is good. When we are within the hedges of life that God 
provides us with, the protections and the blessings? Are we patient? And do we recognize where those things have come from? Do we see that God is the source behind those things? And do we praise Him and thank Him for those things? It takes patience, doesn't it? It takes patience to stop and to slow down and to recognize that everything that we have around us in life, that it has come from God. That it's a tremendous blessing that God has given us. So even when life is good, we need to stop and slow down and we need to thank God for what He has blessed us with. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. At the end of our life, our obituary were to read that we were blameless, upright, we feared God and we turned away from evil. It would be a pretty excellent commentary on the way that we lived, wouldn't it? What is remarkable about Job is that he had all these blessings. He did not allow those things to distract him from serving God. He did not deviate from the desire to please God even when all those things were lost. Even when it would have been easy to give up and to quit. Let's look to the example of Job. Trusting in God's wonderful and matchless grace. The love and the compassion that He has shown to us. And God loves you. And He is gracious. And He wants to forgive you of your sins. This morning, if you're not a child of God, God wants to extend His grace and His mercy to you and forgive you of your sins if you would come in faith believing in Jesus, God's Son, who died for you. Who gave up His life so that through His blood you could have the redemption and forgiveness of your sins. If you have made that commitment to following the Lord, but you've not been living faithfully, you've not been putting God as number one in your life, would you not make correction of your life this morning? If we could help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?